Well, good morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter number 15. Ethan was, Pastor Ethan was mentioning uh, a revival that took place right here, right down at the Hoosick River in 1806. Five men were praying at the Hoosick River, being led by a man by the name of Samuel Mills. Samuel Mills' dad was a preacher in Torrington, Connecticut. He was a student at Williams College. And so we have a lot of college students here. We've got a lot of young people in high school. Um, that was the age, it's your age, that God began to call these missionaries to the mission field. And these, these men that were down by the Hoosick River, Samuel Mills and James Richards, another guy by the name of Harvey Loomis, Francis Robbins, and Byron Green, God, they were praying, being led by mills, and a thunderstorm came up, and they took refuge in a huge haystack, and if you go to Williams College today, you can go down to Missions Boulevard and see the monument there, and um, that was the, right here, right here, five miles from North Adams, that's looked at as where the American missionary movement started, right here. It's incredible. And then so much history in this area of missions. So I want to start off our missions emphasis by preaching you this message out of Romans chapter 15. I'm going to read actually the entire chapter, verses 1 through 33, and then we'll get into the message. You know, I'm going to do something a little bit different today than we normally do. I'm going to have you all stand as we read the Word of God today. If you're able to stand as we read God's Word, I'll have you stand. It'll be on the screen. And, um, you know, in the Old Testament, when the Word of God was read, they all stood. And uh, sometimes they'd stand for the whole preaching of the message. I won't have you do that uh, this morning. But uh, let's uh, follow along either in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15... We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to glory of God, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in the same sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, 
to make the Gentiles obedient by the word and deed, through the mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about into Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, and for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty also is to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed them to this fruit, I will come by you in Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come and unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace. Lord, we come before you this morning and we've met here for a reason. We've met to, number one, worship you, for you are more than worthy of our worship. We've also come, Lord, for you to speak to our hearts, to guide us, to direct us. Especially, Lord, as we speak of missions. And we've been challenged in the adult and teen Sunday school class for the need. We've seen the life of one missionary couple who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Might we be encouraged by them and their devotion to the ministry. And so these next several weeks, Lord... Speak to our hearts. Draw us to you. Help us to see the need. And then lastly, Lord, if there's someone here today that has never received Christ as their Savior, I ask and pray, Holy Spirit, that during this message, during this service, that Holy Spirit, you bring the reality of their need of Christ to them. Cause them to realize that the reason we send out missionaries into the world is because the world is lost and dying, going to hell. But you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin. And that that person, whether they're here in the auditorium or they're watching by live stream, would come to know Jesus as their Savior, be born again into the family of God. Lord, help me as I preach this message. The responsibility to bring this message is great. I'm not capable, nor am I worthy to bring this message. But despite my own faults and failures and my own shortcomings, please use me today for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If I were to ask you to describe the God we worship, just how would you describe him? And I think this morning that we would, if I gave you that opportunity, um, the attributes that you would give him, I'm, I'm sure, are the fact that the God that we worship is a God of love because the Bible tells us that. Amen? Amen. God's a God of love. 
And he's a God of mercy because the Bible tells us that he's a merciful God. And I'm grateful for his mercy and for his grace. We would use that attribute as well when we talk about the Lord. And the holiness of God. Uh, we would talk about that as well because the Bible spells all that out for us. And his righteousness and his sovereignty. But this morning I want to emphasize to you this, that the God that you and I worship is a missionary God. He has always been a missionary God. He has been a missionary God from the Garden of Eden when he cried out and said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? He's always sought after and seeking those that will put their trust in him. Be, be, be born again into the family of God. That's always been God's attitude. So I want you to see in the text that I have already read just some things this morning that remind us of that. So notice in chapter 15, let's just pick it up in verse number 4 here. And um, Paul says this, Whatsoever things were written aforetime, this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So in other words, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, what he's saying to them is this, all of the Old Testament that, they, that had already been given, already been written, they already had all of that, that was written so we could look back upon it and we could learn from it. Now today we have both the Old and the New Testament, and we have such a greater advantage uh, 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 today than perhaps any other time in human history. We have the completed Word of God that we can look to, and we can see what God is trying to teach us and to tell us. And what a blessing that is. But in it, God speaks to us, and He teaches us and shows us that He's a missionary God. And so Paul writes here to the church in Rome, and then look what he says in verse 5. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded. And then over in verse 6, he says, that ye may be with one mind. You see, the whole point of us having a missions emphasis month and to be singing about missions and preaching about missions and telling you about missionaries, and teaching you about missionaries, and teaching you about missions, and having the three missionaries come, is that you and I as a body of believers will be like-minded. We'll have the same mind to take Mount Greylock Baptist Church and move it forward for the cause of Christ. In fact, all preaching is really about that. Whatever the topic is, that we would all be like-minded. We'd be on the same page regarding all of this. Because God is a missionary God. Did you notice how many times in, in, in Romans chapter 15, the word Gentiles is used? I think it's eight or nine times. Paul keeps emphasizing Gentiles, Gentiles, Gentiles. Now, in, in verse number four, when it speaks about those things written aforetime were written for our learning, we know that the majority of the Old Testament, it was zeroing in on Israel, uh, the Jewish people. But even then, even in the Old Testament, God was looking to a day when the gospel would be brought to all the nations of the earth. It's really interesting, and this is a different message for a different time, but in the Old Testament, God raised up a nation, and the nations of the world were brought to Israel to understand who the one true living God is. But in the age in which we live, God has raised up the church, and the church has been raised up to bring the gospel out into the world. And that's what missions is about. And that's why you and I, we need to think about that and be like-minded. But notice from the Old Testament how, uh, what, what God says here. So for instance, look at verse 9. The Bible says this, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And look what it says, those next four words. As it is written. So in other words, Paul now is going to quote out of the Old Testament. 
And he quotes out of Psalms 18, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and, among, and sing unto thy name. So way back in the Old Testament, it's pointing to the Gentiles. That's why Paul wrote, and these things were written aforetime for our learning. It's that way back, hundreds of years before the book of Romans is, is written, um, six or seven hundred years, eight hundred years, a thousand years, God is looking to the time He's going to bring the message to you and I, the Gentile people. Well, to reiterate, Paul then goes on and he says this in verse 10. And again he saith, and now he's going to quote out of the book of Deuteronomy. Way back in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells us he's going to bring the message to the Gentiles. And again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And then to just drive home the point again, Paul writes in verse 11, and he says, and again, and he's pointing back to the Old Testament, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. That's a quote out of the Psalms again. And then, in verse 12, way back in the book of Isaiah, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. You see, God has always been a missionary God. On your handout is probably the most well-known verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16. Wouldn't you say that's the most well-known verse in the Bible? Amen? So let's say it together. Let's begin. For God so loved the world. Let's just stop there. The world. I don't know if we still sing this song in junior church or in Sunday school or on Wednesday nights, but if we don't, we should start again. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. There is absolutely no greater truth than that. And I don't know when that song was written, and how many decades or years ago that song was written. But little boys and little girls have sung that song from the time they were little to the time they... I'll guarantee you that that song was written when the Stams were little children, that God used that song. And God spoke to Betty and John Stam's heart. And that's why they ended up on the mission field of China. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in His sight. And in our congregation... We have people from all different nationalities. I think that's the coolest thing. Amen. We have people here that are from Hispanic backgrounds and Philippine backgrounds and Asian backgrounds. And we have people here from European backgrounds and from red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious. Whoever you are, you are precious in the sight of God. God's a missionary God. God is a God who cares about you. God is a God who wants you to be saved. You may be here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. God is infinitely uh, interested in you. That's why He sent His Son to die on the cross to save you from your sin. That's who God is. God's a missionary God. And that's why we invest in missions. That's why we send missionaries out into the world. Because our God that we worship is a missionary God. And so Paul here, he writes and he, and he reminds us as we read these, these words the, that how interested God was not only in the Jewish people, but in the Gentile people, you and I. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad God was interested in the Gentiles. Amen? But then we see this. Not only is God a missionary God, but God... God's people, you and I. We're to be a missionary people. Picking it up in verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of uh, goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you, in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So he's saying, listen, God's, Paul was writing to them and saying, God has called me to preach to the Gentile people. A Jewish man bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by the word and deed. So if you know anything, by the way, about the history of the Apostle Paul, the Bible records his three missionary journeys. 
and he went out and he brought the gospel um, in each of those journeys. And churches were established all over that part of the world. Churches in Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica. He preached in Athens. He preached wherever God would allow him to preach, bringing the gospel to a lost and dying world. Because he understood that his God was a missionary God. And he also understood that God was calling his people to be a missionary people. Did you know that today there's over 7 billion people on the planet? You probably most of you know that. Do you know that they estimate that today that over or close to half of those 7 billion people have never heard a clear explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The good news that Jesus came to die and pay for our sin, that he was buried, that he rose again. And if we'll put our faith and trust in him, he'll save us from our sin. That, that billions of people have still not heard of the gospel. Did you know that, that only 20% of the world's languages have any portion of God's word? Only 20%. Did you know that of almost 7,000 languages and dialects, less than 600 have a Bible translation? Did you know that since, night, since 1450, when the printing press was invented, close to 7 billion Bibles have been printed? That's a lot of Bibles, amen? 7 billion? But listen to this. Approximately 85% of those 7 billion Bibles have been printed in English. Now that's good for the English-speaking people, but not everybody in the world speaks English. That means since 1450, approximately 15% of the total number of Bibles and New Testaments were printed for 83%. Only 15 or... Yeah, 17%, I'm sorry, 17% of, of, of the, excuse me, 15% of the total number of Bibles and New Testaments were printed for 83% of the world's population. Only 15%. So there's people all over the world, not only have they not heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they have no written language describing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a great work that still needs to be done. And, and, and Pastor Aaron challenged us with regards to that in the adult Sunday school class. On your handout, I have for you 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, where Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, he's reminding them that he was called to preach the gospel in the regions beyond and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. If you read the text there, Paul was really saying this. Listen, after I have established you in the faith, I'm going to move on and I'm going to go somewhere else and establish somebody else in the faith. And you know, the majority of our 35 missionaries, which I think is what we're supporting now, the majority of those missionaries, they'll go into a particular city, they will start a church, they will establish a church, and then they'll move on from that church They'll get a, 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 a man to pastor that church. They'll train him up. They'll leave that national there. And they'll move on to the next city. They'll start another church. They'll train another national. He'll take the church. And then they'll move on to the next city. And they'll start another church. Many of our missionaries, they've, 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 they haven't just started one church on the mission field. They've started, some of them, dozens of churches on the mission field. And why do they do it that way? That's the pattern, you see. So they understand that the God that they worship is a God who's a missionary God. They understand that God's people are to be missionary people. Look what it says here in verse 20 of our text. Paul said, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. That's what missions is about. Taking it to people that have not seen or heard about Jesus Christ. 
And all around us, even in our own community, there are people who still have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as we've already been challenged, we're not only called to to go to our own Jerusalem right here, but beyond, to Samaria and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel. Then on the back of your handout, I asked this question. Dennis and I and my son Adam, we went to a conference yesterday, preaching conference, and on the ride back, I knew what I was preaching today, and Dennis and I were talking, and I said, Dennis, what do you think the greatest hindrance to the, to the spreading of the gospel is? And uh, he kind of thought about it, and I, I kind of teased him. I said, well, you'll have to come and hear me preach tomorrow to find out what it is. But what is the greatest hindrance? What is the greatest hindrance to missions? What is the greatest hindrance? Because notice what Paul said here as we continue to read in verse 22 and 23. He said, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. What hindered Paul? What hinders our missionaries from getting to the mission field? Listen, the greatest hindrance to missions is not Satan. You might think that. Well, the devil is probably the greatest. Or we've, we've heard a little bit today when we've heard some of these stories about communism. Communism is not the greatest hindrance to the gospel being spread throughout the world. Intellectual elitism that we see on many of our college campuses that is not the greatest hindrance to the spreading of the gospel. Humanistic idealism and pagan animism and any kind of ism. In fact, I looked up about how many isms there are in the world. So I looked that up. There are 234 isms in the world. Isms, like Buddhism, and, and, and you can, the list could go on. No, these isms, they, they represent philosophical or political and moral doctrines that people put their faith in. It's not all the isms of the world that are preventing the missionaries from bringing the gospel. The greatest hindrance to the gospel being brought to a lost and dying world are Christians. We heard in our Sunday school class, the average giving, the average Christian gives what did you say? $17 a week. That's not missions. That's just giving. Missionaries have to spend two, three, four years in what we call deputation, trying to raise support to get to the mission field. It's not the isms that are preventing missionaries. It's the church. Christian apathy. Most Christians, we've already heard this, and I hate to repeat it, but I think it's worth it. Most Christians are either minimally involved or not involved at all in missions giving. And quite frankly, from what we heard earlier, most Christians are minimally involved or not involved in all in church, just tithing and giving. So don't look around and point your finger at the devil and this crowd and this crowd and this crowd. I was talking to someone recently and their daughter's getting married and uh, they mentioned to me that uh, their daughter and their future son-in-law, they've decided not to have any children because of the condition of the world. The world's always been a terrible place. If that was the case, none of us would be born into this world. And quite frankly... You and I live in, in, a, in unprecedented good times with everything going on around us. These are good times to be alive. All of you are going home and your cupboards are full of food, amen? Many of you, you're driving one of two or three cars that you own home after church today. You have closets full of clothing. 
You have not only one television in your home, but multiple televisions in your home. More people will spend money on their cable television set this month than they will in missions. More people will have had their Apple or whatever, I don't even know what these, Apple or Spotify or whatever you buy, than they give to missions. I'm not talking about lost people, I'm talking about Christian people. More people will pay for one ticket to, uh, what's her name? Uh, Who's the, 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 Taylor Swift. More, more people will pay one, one ticket to a Taylor Swift concert. I'm hearing people paying, no, I'm not saying these are Christian people, I'm just listening to this in the news, $20,000 to go hear this chick sing. There's so much, ta- I was in the church we were in yesterday, they had these missions boards up, I looked up quickly, and they had a picture of someone with a quote. I looked that there was a blonde woman on this, and I'm thinking, oh, Taylor Swift. No, I can't be Taylor Swift. It wasn't. And so, it's funny, but it's not. Because all over the world, as I'm preaching this morning, someone's dying and going to hell. And the click of my finger is the ticking of the clock. Because time is running out. Time is running out for each and every one of us. By the way, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, time's running out. There's no guarantee you're going to live to be an old guy like me. No guarantee. You could be sitting here and you've never received Christ, and you say, well, I'm going to wait to another day. Now, quite frankly, I can't convince you to be a Christian. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I'm just the mouthpiece. And the Holy Spirit of God may be speaking to your heart right now, saying you need to get saved. You need to receive Christ as your Savior. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this, he said, I come not to you with excellency of speech, but by the power of the Spirit of God. He was just a mouthpiece. But Christians, we're hindering. The movies. Wait, wait, look, oh, look what Paul said here. He said in verse 23. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire. A great desire. These many years to come to you. Just a great desire. I told this story before and some of you that have been around for a long time will remember this. But in years gone past, we used to show the mission. We didn't have a big, fancy thing like this here. We, we, would, show the, we would show the missionary uh, slides right here. We'd set up, a, back in the days, the slides, the slide projector. And I remember numbers of missionaries doing that, but specifically our missionary at the time to Papua New Guinea, Terry Taylor. And he stood here as he showed those slides, and he just wept. He just wept. He couldn't wait to get back to Papua New Guinea and preach to the people of Papua New Guinea. He's one of those missionaries that started dozens of churches there. His wife became so ill while she was there that he, I remember him in years later saying that he put her on a plane because they were out in the bush. There was no, there's no cities, no doctors, no ambulance to come. He put her on a plane, and he was certain that that was the last time he would see her in this, uh, in this world. She would die. He, he was sure that she was going to die, and he wouldn't see her until he got to heaven. Now, God spared her life, and she didn't. And he went on to continue to minister for years. He was there when the tidal waves hit, wiped out at least one I know for sure, it might have been more than one, but one of his churches was complete, the people, not the building, the people were completely wiped out in a tidal wave. But I remember standing there and weeping for those people.
Aaron, in his Sunday school lesson, quoted out of the 126th Psalm, the, the verse previous to that says, but they that sow with tears shall reap with joy. Just a brokenheartedness for people who are lost and dying. These children that we bring in on Wednesday night, we go into these areas of our community that just, they come, some of them, not all, but some of them come from horrific backgrounds. And we just, I just look at them and pick them up. And this is the only, this is the only hope that they have. Paul's burden and his desire to see these folks. What's our greatest desire? I think Jesus, the Bible did tell us on your handout, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek ye first. I'm a sports guy. I love it, but it's not first in my life. I was having a talk with my one of my grandchildren's soccer coaches, and, and um, I said to him, you know, I love sports, always have. But why do they have to have these games, I said, on Sunday mornings? I said, in other areas of the country, they could, you know, where there are more Bible-believing churches, they can kind of dovetail sports and spirituality, and they dovetail so nicely together that, that, that kids could not only be uh, learn the, the, the benefits of sports and competition, but dovetail it with spirituality. You know, in fact, the whole sports program could be a missions outreach in this country. You know, he says, it's not the only coach in town I've talked to about this. He says, you're right. You're right, he said. What's hindering the, the, the mission's emphasis in our world? It's not, it's not the devil's crowd. It's God's crowd. What's your greatest desire? Aaron mentioned in his message about, you know, he's heard somebody say, I've preached it. You know, why not give up a cup of coffee? You could give, you know, at, 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 at Dunkin' Donuts for missions, and he says, that won't do it. And he's right, that won't do it. But if you've never done anything for missions, it's the beginning, it's a start. See, it brings me to the last part of the message. God's people need a Macedonian mindset. Verse 24. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and it brought to you on my brought on my way thitherward by you. If first I be somewhat filled with your company, just Paul just loved to be around these people. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. In other words, he had collected money from them and he was going to bring it to Jerusalem to help them there. It had pleased them, verse 27, verily. These people, they were happy to give. They were excited to give. They couldn't wait to give. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And in fact, at the beginning, in verse 27, he says, and their debtors they are. What did he mean by that? The gospel came out of Jerusalem. Paul came out of Jerusalem. Paul and, and, and then spread the gospel. And so these Gentiles are saying, well, this is where... This is where Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. This is where the message all began. This is how we got saved. This is how now we have eternal life. And now they, they have a need back there. They met our needs spiritually, so financially they have a need. We're going to meet their need financially because we're in debt to them. Whether you got saved in this church or another church, at some point and at some time, that church's 
that ministry got started up. And other Christians gave prayerfully and financially to start that work. Wherever you got saved, wherever you heard the gospel, and now as you've moved away from that, months, days, months or years away from that, and now you look back, yes, oh yeah, I heard the gospel at such and such church, and that's where I got saved. And that's what, that's what Paul's writing here about these folks in Macedonia. They came to know Christ because the people in Jerusalem, and they, they sent out into the world, into where we are. And the Macedonian church, by the way, was an extremely poor church. They didn't have, they had nothing. And they couldn't wait to give. They had a Macedonian mindset. Look on your handout. Verse two, chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. More of the brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. The liberality there is not their political outlook. Their liberality, their liberality there is their generosity. The money that they gave. For to their power, I bear record, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, much entreated that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. They had nothing but couldn't wait to give what they had to help others. And yet you and I, we have so much and we have such apathy. We have no problem giving it to sports, movies, music, entertainment, clothing, possessions, portfolios, and the list goes on and on and on. But when it comes to missions, it's all the leftovers. And sometimes it's not even the leftovers. It's sad to say, what's that casino down in Connecticut called? It's sad to say that some people will go down and spend more money at Foxwoods than they will give to missions. Some people will buy, I'm just, listen, I don't get to preach much anymore, so I'm giving it to you all today. Some people go out and buy more lottery tickets than they will give to missions. Come on now, it's true, amen? All right, it's true. You don't want to say amen, but it's true. But lastly, God's people, we need to partner with, we need to understand that we are partners with the missionaries. Verses 30 through 33. Paul says, now I beseech you. By the way, that, by the way, that word beseech means I beg you. I am begging you. Brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me, in your prayers to God for me. He's begging them to be prayer partners. We want to be prayer partners for our missionaries. While we hand out a list on Wednesday night, or we post in the bulletin every Sunday, 10 of our missionaries, it's not just there for you to say, oh, we support so-and-so, so-and-so, so. It's for you to be reminded to pray for them. Because your missionaries will tell you that they are all praying for us. Missionaries will tell you that. They have a list of all their supporting churches. And most missionaries will tell you they'll spend time praying for those supporting churches. We have, we're partners. We pray together. Then he says, verse 31, that I may be delivered from them who do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Pray together, give together, minister together. We're all partners in this. It's back to where I started. This is all about being like-minded, being on the same page Moving forward in missions. And I finish with Philippians chapter 4 here on your handout. 
Look what Paul writes here. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Let me just stop there. So apparently they had a problem back then with giving as well. But this church he's writing to said, you guys gave. For evil in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may bound to your account. So understand what Paul's saying? When you're involved in missions, you may not be in the Philippines, you may not go to Ecuador, you may not go to China or to any other countries, but you're helping missionaries get there. You know what, the, you know what, you know what Paul's saying is? Even though you're not physically going, you're helping them go, and God looks at that as like it's fruit on your account. You've partnered with them. What missionaries are you partnering with? Well, I don't give anything to missions. Well, then you're not partnering. I mean, I can't say it any plainer than that. When you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, we're all standing one day at the judgment seat of Christ, all of us that are believers. What kind of a steward have you been with God's money? Because the reality is, it is not your money, it is all God's money. What kind of steward? Pray about it. That's the challenge that Pastor Ethan spoke about. I've done that my all the years I've pastored here. I never set a goal. My goal has always been that you would begin to pray about what part would I have giving to missions. And then let God speak to your heart. It's easy for me to preach about missions because I'm not preaching for myself. I'm preaching for the missionaries. I'm preaching for them financially. Now, I've never had a problem. I've always had a problem preaching about giving to the local church, but I've never had a problem about preaching for the missionaries. And you might say, well, you're kind of making me feel a little bit guilty, preacher. Well, maybe I am. Maybe I am making you feel a little bit guilty. Maybe it's not me. Maybe it's the Spirit of God. You know, not all guilt is necessarily bad guilt. Dying and going to hell. Hell is real. Let's bow our eyes, close our heads, bow our heads for a word of prayer. First, let me say this, that if you're here this morning, and I've mentioned this several times in my sermon, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, we are a church called by God to preach the gospel for people who are lost and dying. Listen, I got saved in this church. I was a young man raised in a Christian home, and I was 24 years old. And I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over. But it was here where the Holy Spirit of God pricked my heart. And I came to an old-fashioned altar and I said, God, I don't even... I went to rededicate my life and I said, Lord, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. But if I'm not, I want to get saved right now. Right now I want to get saved. I want to give my life to you. And if you're here this morning, maybe that's you. If you're watching on the live stream, maybe that's you. It is the greatest decision you can make in your life. So with our heads bowed right now, with our eyes closed, if you're not saved, I, I, call, I, 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 am, I beseech you, as Paul said, if God is, is calling you, then call out to him. He loves you. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. He's He's calling you. You have to admit that you're a sinner because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have to believe that Jesus died and he paid for your sin. You have to believe that because the Bible teaches that. And if you'll call upon him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Right now, call upon him. Lord, I admit you, I am a sinner. I believe Jesus, you died and paid for my sin. And today, the best I know how, I now give my life to you. Would you do this with every head bowed, please? No one looking, every eye closed. Maybe you've never done that. But today you did. Today you asked Jesus to be your Savior. Would you just do this? I'd like to be praying for you to grow in your faith. I won't call upon you and I won't point you out. I won't embarrass you in any way. But if today you ask Jesus to be your Savior, would you just slip up your hand and put it down? I never did that, preacher, but today I ask Christ to be my Savior. Anyone at all. I never did that, but today I asked him to save me. Christian, are you partnered with missionaries? Do you have a desire to reach the lost? What's your greatest desire? Let God speak to your heart. What part will I have as we move forward in the year 2024 of world evangelism? Let God speak to your heart. Father, bless now this invitation. Move in our hearts in a very real and powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.